from high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah. It's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, March 3rd. The Moab City Council was in session this week. So what happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News answers. At this week's Moab City Council meeting, council members approved rate increases for stormwater and trash pickup. Trash rates for city residents will increase by $2 per month, and stormwater rates will double next year in order to fund needed infrastructure projects. A presentation from city lobbyist Casey Hill detailed new legislation that could impact how the city regulates development, and a local sound engineer gave the council details on just how loud events held at Center Street Ballpark and Swanee Park are. Joe Lima took decibel readings at Scott's on the Rocks, the Moab Folk Festival, and the Summer Free Concert Series, both close to the events and further away in neighborhoods, to give the council data to improve this year's conversations about noise impacts from events. And that's what happened at this week's Moab City Council meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. And you can watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Moab City and Grand County, Utah there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. For the second time in a few short weeks, Grand County is mourning the death of a local high school student. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent has more. Alexa Van Arstel, who was a 17-year-old junior at Grand County High, um, tragically died in a car crash Tuesday afternoon. Um, she was driving uh, northbound on Highway 191 south of town near Aggie Boulevard. And for reasons still unknown, drifted into the southbound lane around 3.30 p.m. and struck a pickup truck that was towing a trailer with another truck on top of it. Um, and unfortunately died at the scene. So this happened, um, like you said earlier this week on Tuesday. Um, this is coming on the heels of another high school student who passed away in a hiking accident in February. This is really hard time for the community. Can you give us a little picture of Alexa's time as a student at Grand County High? Absolutely. She was a member of the band at Grand County High and competed on the uh, golf and the tennis team. Um, in addition, her family has been very, very involved in the Moab Community Church. Um, her, her father is Pastor Kyle Van Arstel of the church. Um, her, her grandfather is also a retired uh, pastor. Related to this accident, I know that Alexa was killed instantly, according to officials, and there were two other people involved in the accident. Is that right? Correct. Um, Alexa's younger brother, who was 16, he emerged from the wreck um, nearly unharmed, and both he and the driver of the pickup were taken to the uh, local hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Well, my heart certainly goes out to our community right now, especially our school community. It cannot be easy to experience the death of another high school student, a friend, a classmate. You know, I'm especially thinking about the upperclassmen who know both of these, both of these students really well. Certainly. Um, I, I truly can't imagine what students must be going through right now. I know therapists were on call in the high school on Wednesday and that uh, both Alexa and Zoe Thompson, you know, who did die a few weeks ago, are going to be honored at prom at the end of the year. So there will be more coverage from local media on that. Sophia, there's more in the Times Independent that we want to highlight. Where do you want to take us next? Uh, another big story is on water, you know, a perpetual issue and focus in not just Moab, but of course the uh, Utah and the entire West. Two local water experts 
uh, gave a workshop to the Grand County Commission prior to their February 21st regular meeting. And the topic of the discussion there was Moab's groundwater and bolstering science and data to figure out what safe withdrawal rates from the aquifers under the Moab Valley are. Because right now, we don't really know how much water is down there. We don't know how the aquifers are interacting. And we don't know the recharge rate, which is, you know, how much water they receive every year, which means we can't know what a safe amount to be taken out annually is. Mark Stilson was one of the presenters from the Utah Division of Water Rights. And then Arnie Holtquist, who's the watershed coordinator locally with the Utah Clean Water Partnership. So two big water names in the community. I'm sure folks have heard of them before. Um, and they provided a lot of information from various studies that have been done on Moab's groundwater over the past few years. Um, and, you know, as much as little as we do know, uh, there are some facts that seem to be coming clearer. I mean, Stilson discussed a 2020 or sorry, a 2019 study from the U.S. Geological Survey that postulated that Moab, the Moab Valley might be reaching, uh, reaching its safe yield levels. And that's from the three water users in the valley, which is Grand County, Moab City and uh, San Juan County, all the way at the southern end. Okay, so might be reaching its capacity, still unknown. Um, any other highlights from this presentation that you found interesting, Sophia? I think there are a lot of interesting details about what Stilson and Holtzquist believe needs to be done to gather this additional data and science. And actually, these recommendations came from USGS originally, I should say. They were just being presented by these two guys. Um, those include, you know, getting more wells and springs under continuous monitoring, um, doing more studies on different parts of the valley, such as the wetlands that contribute to the aquifer and, and are also reflections of the aquifer. One interesting thing that Stilson mentioned towards the end of the presentation is how key collaboration is between the valley's three water users. He said that the Division of Water Rights can come in, like, after a community has exceeded safe yield, they have a plan to come in and, and help um, entities collaborate in reducing their, their water intake from the aquifers. But before that happens, the division doesn't really get involved as much. And he said it's really up to the water users themselves to figure out an appropriate cap on water appropriations when the existing water rights actually far exceed the amount of water down there, which was another really interesting aspect of uh, what Stilson presented. You know, the city and Grand County and San Juan County all have water rights. None of them is using nearly up to what their current water rights allow. But it is clear that, you know, the water rights collectively are far greater than the amount of water down in the aquifer. Um, you know, so they might not know exactly how much water is down there, but they sure know it's not as much as could be appropriated. So it's certainly a very serious conversation, but it does sound like folks from those three entities have already been meeting, which is awesome to hear. And hopefully that collaboration will, will continue. You know, I'm curious, I know this was a presentation to the commission, um, but did Grand County commissioners have anything to say about the commission's role in our water future? Certainly. Um, several of them asked a lot of questions. Commissioner Bill Winfield chimed in with a bunch of different questions, too, to try to understand the situation better. And towards the end of the discussion, uh, Commissioner Mary McGann suggested that somebody follow up with Stilson and Holtzquist and gather these recommendations and split them into the like, here's the easy things we can do kind of right now for cheap. And then here are the longer term, much more expensive um, project. So it does sound like there is going to be some forward momentum from this conversation, hopefully. Well, thank you for highlighting that coverage in the Times Independent. And there's more um, related to our local government this time with the city and raising rates on a few things. Tell us about this, Sophia. Yes, absolutely. Um, my editor, Doug, covered the city council meeting Tuesday when city council voted to increase uh, trash pickup rates as requested by the Kenyan Land Solid Waste Authority. And the city is also considering a stormwater increase. Um, 
the monthly bill could double from four fifty to nine dollars for stormwater. Um, you know, these are two interesting discussions. It seems like it's the classic case of a lot of uh, maintenance being deferred until a service district has no choice but to increase rates on folks in a very quick amount of time. Ben Billingsley, who's the chief operating officer and the finance director for the city, said that Canyonlands only has about 50 days of cash on hand, and it's usually expected that uh, organizations have at least 180 days of cash on hand. So they are approaching a, quote, fiscal cliff, which is part of the reason for the the rate increase. So that's part of the reason for the trash rate increase is because uh, Canyonlands Solid Waste Authority is reaching a financial cliff, as you said. Yes. And those rates were requested by the Canyonland Solid Waste Authority. And related to stormwater, you know, you mentioned deferred maintenance. Is that why the city is raising rates there as well? Exactly. Um, the city has been kicking the proverbial can down the road until there was nothing left to kick. That's a quote from Doug that I think is pretty illustrative. Um Apparently, they, they haven't raised rates in probably something like 20 years, according to city engineer Chuck Williams. And these fees would be used to fund capital projects. Um, so, in, you know, doing this increase could help more than 10 projects begin in two years rather than in like six or so years. Yeah, some very necessary improvements do need to happen. Anything else to mention from Doug's piece on A, the trash rate increase and B, the stormwater rate increase? I would just say if you have thoughts on the stormwater increase, um, you know, I don't think the city has made a final decision on that, so your voice can still be heard. Um, you know, you can certainly write in or, or email um, the city council to get your voice heard. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Just how loud are Moab's downtown special events? Well, now the city council has some answers after a local sound engineer took sound readings around the Center Street ball fields. Allison Hartford of the Moab Zen News explains. In April of last year, the city council in a three to two vote denied the Scots on the Rocks Festival a permit to hold the festival at the Center Street ballparks. Um, And the reasoning was that some residents thought it was too loud and they had received complaints. But council members Jason Taylor and Tawny Nudison Boyd dissented at that time. And Jason Taylor pointed out that other loud events like the Moab Folk Festival are often held at the ballparks. There is a noise ordinance in the city, but at the time, the city didn't have a lot of um, event permitting that was strictly adhering to noise. And so it kind of kicked off this whole conversation about how loud events can be and how the city can regulate that. And so the Scots on the Rocks Festival redid their application in June, and then the council voted to allow the festival at the ballparks in another three to two vote with council members Ronnie Durassery and Kaylin Jones dissenting. But really, this kicked off this huge conversation about noise and how loud events can get in our community. And so Joe Lima, who is a local sound engineer, offered to do some sound monitoring of these festival events. And so At the regular city council meeting on February 28th, Lima came and presented uh, some of his findings from noise from the Blower Free Concert Series, the Mount Polk Festival, and the Scots on the Rocks Celtic Festival. Anything interesting between those festivals that he found? Yeah, definitely. So the biggest finding was that the Scots on the Rocks event was quieter overall than both the Summer Concert Series events and the Mount Polk Festival, but it did have more sustained noise. So the concert series and the folk festival had these really high peaks and really low lows because um, the peak noise, like when a band would 
yell or there was like a really loud guitar solo or something. At the folk festival, that peak noise actually hit um, 97 decibels, which is technically over the legal limit of the city's noise ordinance, which is 92 decibels. Um, but also when bands would go off stage, there would be this break in noise versus the Scots on the Rocks Festival, which had this average reading of around 68 decibels. Um, that was super sustained noise because bagpipes are only ever one uh, volume. And so Lima also took readings from nearby residents' yards. So at the time of this debate, a lot of residents who lived near the ballparks were saying that the Celtic Festival was too loud. And so um, the residential yard readings ranged from 43 to 48 decibels during the Scots on the Rocks Festival. And during the Mog Folk Festival, it ranged from 48 to 57 decibels. So these are kind of really interesting statistics because it's a little bit opposite of what people were expecting, especially following that debate about noise. And so now the city council doesn't have plans right now to do really intense sound monitoring at other events, but they might do it in the future. They're not sure yet, um, but at least for now, they have a couple numbers that they can point to. Yeah, that's my question. You know, how would the city council use this information potentially in the future? Yeah, so it'll really come down to how they continue to um, evolve their event permitting regulations. And also, um, it's something that they can give to residents who are maybe saying that events are too loud or that some events should be in certain places. And now the city council has this exact measurement of how loud these events are. Let's go to another piece in the Mobson news. Um, you wrote a profile about um, a bike trail that is uh, reaching a milestone. So tell us about this, Ali. The Captain Ahab Mountain Bike Trail, which is known across the country for being one of the most exciting and scenic and challenging mountain bike trails, um, is turning 10. So I talked to Tyson Swayze, who is known for kind of getting the ball rolling on building this trail 10 years ago. And he told me about the story of how it was built. He and his friend Nick Badovinik were sitting in Love Muffin Cafe talking about this rock shelf near the 4x4 route at the Amasavak area off of King Creek Road. And Nick pointed out that the shelf kind of looked like it held promise for a mountain bike trail. And so the two of them right then and there took off and went and hiked the area. And as they were hiking it, they kind of kept thinking like, wow, maybe this could really be something. Like, I actually think this could work. And um, Tyson said they didn't really find any deal-breaking features in the landscape beyond a few narrow squeezes. And there was one in particular, so regular riders will know it's kind of near the lower end of the trail where a blue arrow is painted onto a rock. And that was the area that Tyson and Nick were really worried about, but they found that a bike could go through it. And so Tyson remembered looking at this thing and realizing it could be done and then also realizing that he had this huge new project to work on. From there, they contacted Scott Escott, who worked with Trail Mix at the time. And the project really took off. Like there were no surface occupancy issues in the area. Um, trail Mix wrote a proposal for the trail and then the BLM completed an environmental assessment. And then Tyson was hired as a trail crew leader for what would become this trail. And he designed it in a month and a half, which he said, it sounds like a really long time. But I think that sounds like nothing to design this fantastic mountain biking trail. So it's 10 years old now and there's going to be this huge celebratory event for bikers and hikers and runners in the community. 
I had no idea that Tyson designed that himself. I know that he's been involved with Moab Active Transportation and Trails slash Trail Mix for a long time, but that is really, really cool. Yeah, he's really excited about it. And he said this trail was really the spark for the last decade of his entire trail building career. Like he would get jobs because people had heard that he built Captain Ahab. And so this event will be on Saturday, March 11th. It's a full day of celebration that begins at 830 in the morning at the trailhead. Um, followed by a little trail work party from 9.30 to 12. And then a group ride or run or hike of the trail with members of Trail Mix, Grand County Trails, and BLM. And then in the evening at 7 p.m., there will be an after party at Dewey's Restaurant where trail designers and planners and builders will talk about how the trail came to be and how it's currently maintained. All right. For everyone who loves Captain Ahab, this sounds like the place to be. Um, What day is it again, Ellie? It's on Saturday, March 11th. And there's more in the Moabs and News. Um, You also profiled the local debate team. Yes, the debate team at um, Grand County High School just recently went to regionals. Matthew Jonasaint, who is the team's coach, invited me to spend an afternoon with the kids, um, getting to know them and chatting about regionals. And so what I found is that Grand County High School debate is really this huge, long legacy of um, victory. Like the school has banners up in the cafeteria about debate wins. And so these kids today kind of stand on the shoulders of giants, except none of them joined the team initially because they wanted to be on a team that wins. But instead, for whatever reason, debate has really carved out a pocket of um, this like really easy camaraderie and friendship between all the team members and really accepting it really pulls a lot of students from super diverse backgrounds who are all kind of trying to find their identity but also that's not to say that they don't win so regionals emma and emma won first place in public forum which is this partner event where they debated whether or not the Republic of India should join the Artemis Accord. And at regionals, they were assigned the position of yes and had to prepare their arguments then and there. And then Reese, another student, won second place in informative speaking. So Reese had to create this 10-minute speech on AI-generated art, and they could only use a visual aid. So a lot of these events, they involve deep research and memorization. And Reese also said... They joined because um, they were super shy and anxious and got to the point where Reese had trouble ordering food in restaurants. And so they joined debate because it was kind of like you just had to be thrown into these events. And during tournaments, they had to talk. And so two years in now, they really like it. That's so neat. And you said state is coming up. So that could mean another chance for them to take home some prizes. Definitely. They have two-hour practice twice a week. Um, They do a lot of tongue twisters that I will not try to replicate because I know I'm going to stumble over them. They do breathing exercises and tons of research. Anne, who's another team member, also does the extemporaneous um, speaking event. And Anne said they read national news really thoroughly every morning to stay on top of a list of possible topics for this event. And so these students are working really hard, but also they're creating this amazing um, team for themselves. And they're all really close friends. And it was really fun to be able to hang out with them. Great, Ali. So this was a fun profile for you to put together. Is there anything else that you'd like to highlight from it? Yeah, Matthew Jonasaint, the coach said what he's really enjoyed seeing is how close-knit the kids are. And debate really provides some space for 
all sorts of people, like theater people and people who like to argue, people who like the spotlight and people who don't. And it kind of provides this um, place where everyone can learn how to thrive because it requires students to be really outgoing. Um, and it also requires, you know, students who are really intelligent. And so they all kind of can get together and do these amazing things. Allison Hartford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.